Hey everyone, welcome to episode 13 of Conversations That Don't Suck. We have Chelsea Simpson here today, and Chelsea is such a powerhouse woman. I loved, loved, loved this conversation with her. Chelsea was introduced to me by Jeff Bosmer, who was on the podcast like a couple months ago. You can go back into the archives to find that one. Um, But Chelsea is an educator and a facilitator and a coach, and she works um, in the area of transformational leadership and she runs a company called the Emerging Leaders Project and I loved having this conversation with Chelsea. It was so refreshing to have such an intellectual conversation around community and systems change and the ways that those things happen and not strictly from like a philosophical standpoint but like what are the actual things that we need to put into place in order to create change on a systems-wide level and I loved hearing her perspective on it and being able to talk about why these things are or are not happening in the world right now. We also interestingly mentioned at the beginning of this conversation and sort of peppered throughout the whole conversation, um, we were talking about coronavirus and this episode was recorded, um, I guess like right at the beginning of March, so about six weeks ago, um, just as all of this was starting to hit the US um, in a pretty intense way. And yeah, talking about sort of what needs to be done there in order to create change. And we were, were sort of remarking in the beginning, like, we hope it's over by the time this airs, and it's not. So <laughs> there's lots of things to be done, but Chelsea says some really um, beautiful and interesting things about it. I learned so much from Chelsea just having this conversation and then listening back to it. I just have like a total professional crush on her. She just does such amazing work and has such beautiful outlooks on it. And also, I'm incredibly impressed at her remarkable ability to remember word-for-word quotes by highly influential people like she says like five times in this conversation like oh there's a quote here's a quote that some famous person said and she just knows the whole thing so she has just a wealth of knowledge around so many beautiful and important things and I really love this conversation and I hope that you do too enjoy the conversation with Chelsea we live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection better conversations are our first step in getting there Welcome to Conversations That Don't Suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol-Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth-telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. Chelsea, thanks so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Super happy to be here, Kyla. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. What's been uh, What's been the theme of your day so far? You're a few hours ahead of us over in New York. Hmm. Well, this is time sensitive and hopefully by the time uh, everyone listens to this, this will be figured out, but there's some coronavirus. Um, oh yeah. Uh, uncertainty and complexity occurring. And so a big part of my work is around this, what we call, we're calling VUCA shorthand so volatility uncertainty complexity ambiguity mm. like change rapid tech cycles political polarization so I see I'm kind of looking at it through this lens and so it's kind of fascinating so I'm sort of in that headspace um and then also just writing tons of emails as per usual whoa wait can you say more about the this acronym and how that's relating to your work slash how coronavirus is making that more complex well, yeah so this term, I think, is useful because my, my passion is really about preparing next generation leaders to be of service. Mm-hmm. Um, and next generation could be millennials or Gen Z. I'm a millennial myself. It could also be anybody who really uh, 
who's committed to to really being a leader in these times so that could be of any generation so VUCA I find being to be really useful because uh, it covers so many different phenomena that are happening simultaneously and that we kind of get are part of this general uncertainty and volatility and um, but don't always have such a such a uh, easy way to refer to it uh, and the term was was founded by um, the military in the 50s to talk about how do you plan for battle after wars are already started. And so, but then it's mm. kind of the lexicon in the business setting to talk about how do you plan for it to have for uh, business in these times. The, okay, I feel like we just like immediately stepped into something really fascinating. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do that, but I'm glad that we did. <laughs> That's so interesting. I mean, yeah, what an interesting way to phrase it also just as it relates to, of course, not just coronavirus, which yes, I hope by the time this airs that something something different is happening on the positive end with this, because I'm definitely feeling a lot of like, I don't, I don't, I'm like trying not to panic, but I'm just like, how, I, I think my, my biggest fear is around like, I'm just afraid of us eventually getting to a place, which sounds like it could happen like within the next four weeks type of thing. I'm, I'm scared of us getting to a place where like, we're afraid of one another yeah. and just like, fearing being around each other Uh, and I'm like already feeling a little bit of that of like every time someone coughs I'm like get the fuck away from me like and so I'm hoping that that doesn't continue but but this is interesting like that acronym as it relates to obviously a lot of other things and this is very ripe in that like the primaries just happened yesterday and so many people feeling so much anger mm-hmm. as a cover-up for their hurts and or like whatever the anger the hurt the anger is also real but um but yeah just like how much uncertainty there is that's sort of the main theme that I'm pulling out from hearing everyone talk about this that's so interesting mm-hmm. yeah there there it's it's a toolkit you know how do we be and how do we keep functioning and keep collab making uh get in fact more collaborative in a time where there is more VUCA, more ambiguity you know, whether that's mm. you know different people who are on it who are uh have a lot of shared um beliefs believing in different candidates right and figuring out how to then what what is what does collective power look like in that context when the thing as things change and shift um how do we have nuanced uh, not straightforward, not easy conversations that lead to constructive action in a time when, for, with climate change, for example, we really mm. need big coalitions. So those are the kinds of questions that really, uh, that re- I'm really passionate about finding, um, like breaking down into into digestible elements. Whoa! Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Can you say more about the work that you do in general, so we can provide a little context to everyone listening, and and we'll dive into more of this from that space. Yeah, definitely. So um, I am first and foremost an educator. Um, That's been my background is doing different kinds of experiential education and facilitation and also a coach, also a doula. I wear different hats. But to me, they all are around this central question of how do we equip, inspire and transform the next generation of leadership to be able to meet the challenges of our times? And create systems change. So, I so for some specific examples, I have a company called the Emerging Leaders Project that I co-founded uh, a year and a half ago, and um, we do trainings um, both online, in person, and with organizations. So, we work with some big companies and some um, mostly millennial-founded startups. And I also teach at the New School. I teach a class called Creative Team Dynamics. 
and I also coach um, both on my own and with with uh, an organization, um, a coaching certification program uh, founded by this guy Daniel Goleman, who wrote uh, kind of the iconic book about emotional intelligence twenty years ago. So I have a bunch of different ways that look. So um, hopefully that wasn't too much of a mouthful and that makes sense to people. Oh no, totally. That's great. Um, yeah, I'm so curious about just like the the types of people that you're working with and what are the main things and maybe there isn't like one central theme but um yeah like what types of projects are they working on and what what are the big things that people are feeling like are the most pressing future challenges yeah it's a it's a great question so it's such an interesting time where i think there is this um this these glimmers and possibilities that because the old systems are breaking down in 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 increasingly consistent ways there's both a lot of deep like anxiety and um and and fear uh about how it's going to go for us individually as as communities as a collective as organizations i mean these glimmers of hope and possibility of other ways forward that could actually be better in a lot of different senses um and so i've worked with um both uh, for as far as for coaching with people who are really committed about bringing their thing into the world, whatever that thing is that they really, that they feel clear will be, will benefit their communities they're part of. Um, and then also have a lot of challenges around how do I, how do I, um, you know, for one, just maybe they're burnt out. Um, maybe they uh, are unsure about how it's going to work. As an organization or financially, the finances can be really scary, um, and have some sort of some sort of chasm to leap over to be able to make it feel fully realized. So that's sort of the coaching tack. Um, organizationally, it might look a little different, and for students, it might look a little different. But I'll start there. Are people? I mean, like one of the main things that's coming to mind for me, I'd imagine a lot of people are looking at like maybe economic or environmental issues does that feel like a big thing that a lot of the people that you're serving are addressing oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah mm. for sure for sure yeah i mean in this time when um when there's uh so much occurring at once too can feel a little overwhelming or paralyzing so I know for a lot of us, having that kind of support and accountability can be can be really important. Having some frameworks to help under even like the term VUCA is an example of a framework, but there's lots of framework mm. I've collected for my own sanity and sustainability um, over time, being in the being in the social impact sphere that I needed to get me through some leap to come to the next iteration of uh, of my work. So um, I just feel lucky to I have this real passion for collecting these tools. So I just I just have such a excitement about millennials and gen z specifically um being able to really lead a new uh a new new systems and so um what i want to do is to again equip inspire and transform people and organizations that have that vision oh i love that and i love that you mentioned that it can just feel so overwhelming and daunting and um frustrating when you're at the forefront of trying to address these things. And that's one thing that I think about a lot when it comes to community building is like the reason community communities are so important for so many reasons, but I think especially right now, one of the biggest reasons is how many people feel so um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
I guess just like inept in their ability to to create change in any way. And it's like, yeah, when we're living in such an individualistic society, of course we're going to feel that way. And of course we're going to feel like our votes don't count and that we can't do anything to help the climate and that, you know, being kind to one person doesn't matter because I'm only one person, whatever, all these different levels of it. And yeah, like when we're doing things in community, things just feel so much more impactful. And, and yeah, we have the resources and the accountability to to lean on each other when we get discouraged, which we're like inevitably going to do. Mm, that's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. My, 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 my background really has been my biggest North star for myself is building beloved community and the term that Martin Luther King used. That's one that I feel is really just always orients me. And I, I've in that work of something I read recently that I'll mention here, because I think it could be an interesting sort of um, way to uh, go deeper into this community sphere is this quote from um, this this theologian from a couple centuries ago that's let the let the person who um, who is not in community beware of solitude let the person who doesn't know um, how to be in solitude beware of community mm. and what that means to me is that I think is so important is that it's coming from a place where most most of us weren't um, have didn't grow up with a lot of these tools available how do i really uh build a a self-love self-awareness um you know a practice where i'm really able to be in sustained solitude with myself yeah or how to be in community which is complex and can be messy and painful and Mm. exciting so how do we build both of those 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 technologies i like to call it simultaneously Ooh, yeah. Can you say more about that? Like, what is, was it beloved community? That's the term? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah like, what does that mean for you? And how has that uh, presented itself in your life? Yeah. I majored in peace and conflict studies in undergraduate. Um, and so that was about how do we understand ourselves as mechanisms of social change, essentially, and make ourselves able to foster change in the community where in our real lives around us. So I feel super lucky that I found that at 17 to be able to start that that journey. Um, and the, so MLK, the work of MLK was a big part of the curriculum. And um, so the, there's a, there's a longer quote, but the end of it is, but the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of beloved community. And is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. And the premise mm. that each of us come as we are. We each come from where we come from. We have the lineages that we're part of or not part of. And so what does it look like to have a space that's able to have a healthy uh, fostering of these, of, of all the places, of all the things that we are and all of our complex, imperfect, flawed, annoying, you know, like backwards ass, beautiful, <laughs> um, connected, uh, humanness, and that's not an easy question. That's actually one that we haven't. That's very much uh, in its infancy stage. I feel like as a as a planet. Ooh, yeah. Why do you think? I mean, because this is something that I think about all the time as someone who also does a lot of community building work. And one of the things that I notice is, um, like, whenever I meet someone new, I'll always ask them, like, "Where's your community? Where do you find community? Who are you mm-hmm. involved with?" Basically, and 
I'm thinking specifically of like young people, mm, um, yeah. like anyone under the age of 35, let's say. And every time they're like, um, say it again. I'm good. I still count in that category. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm not sure whether I'm part of young people. So cool. Oh, you're totally, you're totally young. Um, yeah. Like whenever I ask that question, people are like, well, like, what do you mean my community? Like, what is, what do you mean by that? And yeah, there's just like no concept of this word anymore. And it's really heartbreaking. And I mean, I definitely didn't have a concept of community until relatively recently in my life, like within the last, I don't know, five or six years maybe. And mm-hmm. yeah. And just seeing the way that it's transformed my life. And I'm always really curious about why community doesn't get prioritized in the lives of young people. And I, I think a big part of it just has to do with, there's just like a complete lack of exposure to it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Of like, why is, why is mm-hmm. community not a priority for young adults these days? Mm, interesting. Well, for, for those of whom that, that feel that resonates, I wonder if there's something around the fact that I feel like really, my experience at least is that uh, our college and early 20s times, even though we are adults, we also are in deep conversation about how are we the same or different as our families and, and, the, and where we come from, you know, our people, whoever our people are, our neighborhoods, our, you know, professional environments, whatever. And the way that I think our society trains many people, or at least some of the mainstream is that you gotta, you gotta give it all to, there's, there's not enough money, there's not enough time. Uh, there's, you have to be fiercely competitive to be able to get some little nook for yourself that has some sense of security. Mm. So you need to be all freaking in to making yourself, uh, making yourself worthy to be chosen for some professional security and like giving it all up for that. And that's, I have a lot of empathy for that. I think it's so deep that a lot of us have some sort of experience with that in some way or another. And it can feel like a really difficult, unclear thing to know how to navigate because it is important to be all in in different ways, but there's ways of doing that. So I think there can be almost like it, it feels like, it feels like a distraction. It can feel, I mean, you might feel like a, like um, just not necessary. It might even feel convoluted or it could even feel like it's like dumb, you know, to prioritize something like friendship that in theory would always be there as opposed to like figuring out your, your, your base, your professional life, your security. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I've never thought about it, how it's so, um, how that can be so intertwined with professionalism and with like economic success and all of that. Huh. That's fascinating. Community takes time and energy and like oh, yeah. prioritization to really have that be alive. And so if that, it's like a plant, you know, if you don't, Many of us have, have had a series of dead plants, myself included. I have one mm-hmm. dead plant dying in my room right now. And so we know, you know, it's required to keep that alive. And not, it's not always the seasons in our life can change. And so it can be really tricky to figure out what's the role. Um, how do I understand also how to, how to have boundaries in community? How do I understand how to, um, how to like be vulnerable with what parts of myself? There's also a lot of deeper questions that I think most of us haven't had much training or access uh, to those kinds, those kinds of tools, um, either in our school or family or life. Yeah. Oh, totally. The people that you work with, um, that you serve, are they like, what prioritizes them to end up with you essentially? Like there's so many other avenues for them to 
be successful and like what makes them in your experience like what do you find is making them end up saying like no I need to do this in community and I need this Mm. much support to make my thing happen Mm. so you mean like in a coaching context right just to clarify because they have these one of those nerves with a different couple of branches. So you mean in the in the coaching um, level or in organizational? Uh, both. Both. Okay. Yeah. So I think for organizational, there's something about my lineage. My is all built in this community community organizing work uh, and teaching in different contexts. So just like as a, I have one of these personalities where I I really tried a bunch of different things in my twenties. So, so I can feel, so, uh, they all feel coherent to me, but it can, it can, um, it's given me a lot of different tools. So I worked, uh, I majored in peace and calm studies. I mentioned I did disaster relief, uh, in Mississippi after Katrina and some other disaster relief projects internationally. I worked at a state park and taught a team building and low ropes courses, uh, to, for three years on two or three day trips. Um, for professionals, I started a cooperative run coffee shop. Um, with some with some friends, I lived in El Salvador for several years and taught study abroad trips that were two or three week immersion collaborations with rural communities. Uh, I worked at a place called the Center for Social Innovation in New York for three years as a community animator. So it was my job to foster community amongst our 200 some members and to help them make more impact as social entrepreneurs and build partnerships with other companies. So in this sort of lineage, I think there's a very authentic my, my commitment has really been to understanding myself. How do I be someone who fosters that sense of beloved community that also is able to be great results and make impact in a lot of really different ways and put myself in sort of a, a laboratory setting of trying to do that with different people in different ways. So I think it's just given me a lot of versatility. So as far and a lot of, um, a lot of different tools. So as far as the organizations I work with, they're ones that I think, realize that this next this next iteration of organizational development has to be focused on purpose has to be focused on collaboration has to be focused on a whole person being someone that you hire and not just the not just the output part and are figuring out how to do that Mm, oh wow I love that yeah one of the well actually I want to hear you talk about the coaching end first and then I'll get back to my question oh okay cool yeah so for the coaching um so I mean, the original question, just so I make sure I answer it. Um, yeah, like basically, how do people end up with you and oh, all the yeah. different ways that they could yeah, cool. find success? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a couple of things. One, that people who um, just resonate with what I'm sharing, there's so many options out there, which is great. It's a time where I think that coaching technology, of just this deep accompaniment and mentorship and support is so needed to be able to have that that deep sustained attention for our own transformation. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the fact that this has become, this is such a huge uh, uh, industry where there, and there's so many great options that people I think just tend to follow their gut as far as what they feel like would really be supportive for them. And then I think the technical training that I'm also certified as an emotional intelligence coach with this Daniel Goldman guy, who's like sort of the name in emotional intelligence for a long time. If there's just there's a range of sort of like data and science and uh, technical training and proficiency that I think can inspire confidence um, and trust with with some people. Mm, yeah, I love that. I I read some statistic recently that was like 
um, it was something like 90% of CEOs worldwide are like focusing, are like actively focusing on um, building soft skills within their company or, yeah. or maybe not are actively doing it, but are like, are conscious of the fact that it needs to be brought to the, um, brought to their company. And it's something that I think like to people like you and me is so like, yeah, duh, like how are you going to build relationships and like sustain a company and have things continue being successful when things are hard. Um, but yeah, there's just like, so there's been so little focus on that, on like how to relate to one another most effectively. And I think especially like, with, like for, to kind of come back to the opening coronavirus thing, mm. we can see more and more that whether it's a natural disaster or whether some uh, important social media platform, ha- like some policy changes and it gets becomes unavailable within a week, like these things all could happen. And it can fundamentally change the nature of uh, huge operations or just very important operations. So this capacity to develop resiliency and adaptability to like actual real life as things change. And those, that's, that's soft skills. That's the technology that allows that on a team. So I've been, I've been um, my own little like personal mission. I, I've been renaming soft skills the power skills of the future. So I just feel like we can, soft skills can feel like undermining to what we're actually talking about. Yes. Oh, I love that. It's funny that you're saying all this because I'm like thinking of ways to like what specific language to use around this in my own work, Um, especially when it comes to like when I'm pitching it to companies and things like that. I'm just like, I, you know, these words like vulnerability and connection and authenticity. It's like they've become so fluffy now. And like, God bless Brene Brown for like bringing them into our vernacular. But it's just like become so... um, like in some ways people are like, I don't know what the hell does vulnerability mean anyway, even when we're talking about it all the time. Um, but if like, yeah, being able to, to really quantify, like how does actual purposeful vulnerability yeah, really like bring about success in an organization and like actually change the way that we create results together. And like, this is real shit, but yeah, but it like takes a matter of people caring about it to, to invest. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I'm that I've like keep getting present to is how, as practitioners and people who are who are like uh, committed to this work and bringing it to the world in different ways, how do we really how do we remain authentic with our vulnerabilities? I know for me sometimes my vulnerability comfort zone expands, so sometimes I feel like I'm being vulnerable, but I'm actually being selectively controlling with what I'm sharing. So I, ha- I have a sense of the impact it might have, but it's not mm-hmm. actually my leading edge of vulnerability for me at that point anymore. So I'm like, how do I keep myself honest and, and, and like realizing that anything that we practice gets stronger. So vulnerability mm-hmm. requires different ways of showing up over time and being in tune with that as opposed to what we kind of the performative vulnerability. Oh yeah. Performative vulnerability. I love that you use that phrase. That's something that I've heard a lot of people within company culture talk about. Um, <laughs> someone used a word uh I'm forgetting what it was it wasn't transactional but it's like that same that same type of mindset around vulnerability um oh it's a commodity that's how they phrase it that it's like there's this like commodification of vulnerability and that like oh I was vulnerable with you and so like that's valuable and so now I should get something in return and um yeah and it's it's really this selective thing that people can use to be like really manipulative I think unfortunately um and Yeah, I was having a conversation about this actually just last night with a friend that like vulnerability is such a tricky kind of immeasurable thing in some ways because what feels really vulnerable for me just might not feel that way at all for you. And Mm -hmm. I gave the example of like um, 
my, my parents are divorced and like, I can talk about that and I feel really comfortable doing that. And it, it doesn't feel vulnerable for me to talk about it, but someone else hearing it, it might feel really vulnerable for them to just like receive that information from me. And, um, to hear me talk about it in, in an open way, it might feel really uncomfortable for someone. And so, yeah, even just like without them saying or sharing anything about themselves, it might feel really vulnerable for them. And it's, it's this tricky thing that I think really does, especially in a work organization, takes so much um, just care that needs to be, yeah, yeah, controlled. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And so much, so much humility, because there's a lot of uh, research these days, and Dan Goldman talks about this a bit, that as humans, we're, we're about, you know, the whole spectrum of us, even those of us who feel like we do a lot of this work, myself included, right, and who have made some commitment, we still have about 5% of, what, uh, of our actions and behaviors that we're, that we're conscious of. The vast majority of, of how we show up and how we're experienced by others over time is, is still is subconscious or unconscious. Mm-hmm. And so it also is like, I, I feel like for me, it's something that I, I keep coming back to and I miss often. <laughs> um, but how do we stay honest with also the fact that none of us are like more, uh, like we're not more advanced than others. Like we're in different conversations and we have different tools to share from our different conversations that we're part of. When we're doing this work to come from a place like, you know, I'm figuring out what it means to love myself today and, you know, don't have it all cracked, right? Like it's not all it's not, it's, it's not a, a constant state of I'm the teacher whatsoever, even a little bit. So like, I think it's interesting to figure, to, con- to, to consider like for myself, what does it mean to really stand in the value of what it is that I've developed and have to share and feel really proud of and feel excited and know that there's just deep value and believe in, and then also stand as much in like, I don't fucking know what's going on. <laughs> like, <I'm, laughs> right. you no. Know? And there's plenty of work that I'm that I that I get to do um so I think it's an interesting one for those of us who are really who are really committed to this work is like what does it mean to stand in both those camps authentically and then still you know be uh be confident to provide uh, in our capacity to provide value to others oh yes would you would you mind sharing um I'm really curious to hear about like where in your life humility is being called to you and yeah like maybe some like situations or just mindset shifts that you've been experiencing lately that have needed hum- uh, humility yeah well one of there's there's always so many <laughs> there's always so many <laughs> now what, what was that one of those quotes from it's from somewhere I don't remember where it's from but it's like you think you're so enlightened try spending a few weeks with your family you know like, oh yes <laughs> there's like things like that that I think most of us tend to realize how much work we have to do yes um, we get to do like yesterday morning, I had the class, this class I taught at the new school and it felt so good. And I felt like we really, the student, like we've been building up the semester and I feel really proud of the work I'm doing with them, the curriculum I built and putting a lot of energy into making this experiential, you know, um, transformational activities for them. And one of the students was crying after class yesterday about how important it was. And it's just like, it, I feel like, oh my gosh, like this is for one, something I just have just kept doing for a long time. There's this impact on somebody and it's actually almost very vulnerable to even receive that and to mm. even like acknowledge, like acknowledge that's something that I had something to do with because I felt like it's bigger than me and I happen to be it, like, it's, it sounds cliche, but like, yeah, like it doesn't feel like it's something that I have 
a right to own on some level. I've been working hard at this for a long time and it's a little bit, uh, it's a little uncomfortable. And then concurrently, so there's those feeling of like, wow, this is working. This is exciting. Like I'm a, I'm still a, I'm an, I'm an early stage entrepreneur. Right. So like less than, less than, you know, like two years into the this path and a big client that, that we had uh, pushed back their, um, their arrangement with us for a few months because of coronavirus. And it's like, scary financial stuff right where it's like oh my god this thing that i thought was happening isn't happening anymore like am i like am i not enough what did that mean to do with that like going through this whole the mental spiral of like feeling scared you know of like mm. uh, and then what's next how do i prioritize what's next so yeah there's like daily i think being an entrepreneur i see it as a like there you have there's a strong daily dose of humility of not knowing what you're not in control of and have to just trust and have faith but it's just one step after the other and, and um, believing in the value you're providing and being willing and open and excited about learning those lessons uh, in the process that will um, keep refining us but sometimes in very uncomfortable ways that showcase what we don't know yet, <laughs> which is a lot, which is most things. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I love, I love all of those things that you just shared. And yeah, I think entrepreneurship is really just such a, what a playground of all the shit you don't know. It's just, um, yeah, amazing. And just, and really being open to like, it doesn't matter how much you know now, like there, you will always just continue discovering the things you didn't yeah. know you didn't know. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a big thing I think is like, you do not know better than everybody. You might know better than a lot of people, but like, there's still always something you have to learn. And, um, yeah, I, I love that about entrepreneurship. I think that's a really, it's a big gift and also is not unique to whatever, having your own company or something. There's lots of ways to have that learning mindset. Yeah. Like ask an artist, you know, ask a teacher in most professions, have have a strong element of that have some have some strong element of of that feature (laughs) Mm, yeah yeah I also I really love what you said about like almost feeling like you can't take credit in some ways for the Mm -hmm. things that you're that you're teaching people and serving people with that really resonates and I've actually never thought of it in those types of words um but I want I don't know for you like is it partly imposter syndrome like that's part of what comes up for me when I get that type of feedback I'm like ooh, like was it me that made this impact I don't know about that um like part of me is like some of it's imposter syndrome some of it's like I'm not sure why I, I don't know if it's just like discomfort with receiving compliments if like that's a piece of it like what comes up for you there yeah, I love that question. And you know, it's one that I'm I'm really in in a in a real alive way. Um, I don't feel like I have there's a pat answer, um, but the elements that I feel connected to are one just that there's some level of respectful orientation towards knowing that everything isn't it isn't me. It like this it is work coming through me. It is dedication and continuing to be exposed to things and trained mm-hmm. in. And it's something, and I get to allow something bigger to come through me. And when I do, it's often, sometimes when I show up in a, in a classroom or with a coaching client or an organization, I say and do things that I didn't even connect before that. So I'm making myself a vessel of something that's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and my commitment, my, my, the fine print on that is to make myself the clearest vessel, vessel that I possibly can. And, um, and then I think I get to have access to something that's bigger. So there's that piece. And then there is also an imposter syndrome piece at times for sure. Sometimes I feel like, like, 
wow, like I get to do this work. And I think especially being an early adult, you know, and being someone who, um, maybe it's, maybe there can be a a broader experience for some uh, millennials and and people in Gen Z or whatever, but as we're kind of, uh, knowing that we have deep tools and value, knowing the effects and impact and having some consistency with that, um, there's still like a risk-taking experimental quality and asking people to be uncomfortable with me um, or really request mm. comfort that um, it's just like a, it's something that I feel aware of the, of the power of and also feel like sometimes like there are moments of just like, why, do, why would I get to do this? Like what makes me so special? I'm, and so it's, some of the imposter syndrome can come, can show up in those moments. Um, and so it's not, there's not like a pat answer other than just to continue to be open and honest about it and to seek out help and support. You know, like I have a coach I work with and I talk to my friends about it and like there, I think it's just a, it's an iterative process that requires like being in tune with when that's there. Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I'm resonating so hard with all of that. It, it brings up like, oh, I think there's actually, yeah, this is kind of interesting. There are some ways when like, I'm thinking of a, a workshop that I facilitated in the fall where people mm-hmm. gave me a lot of feedback about like, oh, you know, you're, you're so empathic. You're such an incredible listener. And like, you created this beautiful space for us to be really expressive and whatever, lots of great feedback. And part of me, as I was sitting there and receiving this, I'm like, yo, I'm really just a, a culmination, a, like an amalgamation of everyone and everything I've ever observed and like which is like true of all of us and um yeah we're just yeah and I'm like gosh like all of this has been taught to me like it's not even mine and I'm like also this is something I naturally possess and I am someone who is empathic I am someone who enjoys creating spaces for people and like I did something with all the things that I learned and we're all doing things with the things that we're learning and this is what I chose to do um Yeah. And so there is kind of like an interesting combination there. And I will say I have a tendency, like sort of going back to the vulnerability part, when we're asking people to be uncomfortable with us, I almost, I've actually never really like voiced this, but I find that sometimes I'll like want to state how nervous I am or want to I don't know, say something that sort of brings me back down to earth because I'm like afraid that people are putting me on a pedestal or like maybe I'm putting myself on a pedestal and like that's totally a projection of mine. I'm not sure, but I'll, yeah, I'll like name something uncomfortable to like help people feel connected to me. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's kind of bullshit actually now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> I mean, it, they're like what I think is to me so uh, important for, for me is just to keep tabs on whatever's showing up for us in ourselves that um, when we are stepping into our power, what, I was, what is coming up for me when I'm being as powerful as I know that I am and where do I make up, do weird, like have some weird habituation that is some mental game where I then hold myself back in some way where I create some distraction for myself. And that could be something as simple as, um, I don't know. I can't think of an example right now, but, it, but there's lots of, but, but just being really in, in conversation with the fact that, um, we're not supposed to be arrived. We're not supposed to have it figured out. Um, and like, it's something kind of really liberating about that space where it's like, just because you're, uh, you're, you have gifts and something and have a lot to share. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to be perfect. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, I, it's something that I forget all the time of just like, 
you're not going to do this perfectly probably ever. And it's like, that's cool that you're just going to, and it's like the humility thing. Like you're just going to keep on learning all the time from messing up. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, Oh, thank you so much. I'm that, that like really landed nicely with me. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, we can like hit the, just hit, like hit the sociological point in a, in like a, in an obvious way, like, of course, how we see ourselves and how we've seen ourselves in, in society and, you know, all those things can all be part of this too. So I feel like deciding on who, who feels like uh, they might have a similar experience and then going to those people too, whether it's facilitators, whether it's women, whether it's people who have your race, religion, you know, spiritual background, whatever, but like, as far as the role of community, not letting ourselves be alone with our scariest thoughts about ourselves can be a real, a real service to the world. Mm, Yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. For sure. For sure. And I think one thing that I have a lot of, um, that I've like gotten a lot of feedback on is like when I am sharing those dark, scary things or just, or the discomfort is like people enjoy feeling connected to one another. And I, I think we really forget that, like, especially when there's so much division and so much individualism and, people thinking that like we are all pitted against each other, even in really subtle ways, I think that shows up. And um, yeah, to remember that like, we want to feel connected to each other. This is in our biology and it takes humility and it takes vulnerability and it takes time and patience and grittiness and just something we really have to work at collectively. It's not something we can or should ever try to do on our own. Hell yeah. Mm. That, that feels like, especially in these times where like, when we get really real too and look at what our generation um, gets to experience um, is very collective. Climate change is not going to be solved by one group, one nation, mm-hmm. one political party, one, whatever. Um, rapid like tech changes and artificial intelligence can mean the entire economy and workforce shifting in fundamental ways. Things like the coronavirus make it so obvious that these, any a conversation that isn't leading us to be more collaborative um, is not at the right level. You know, how do we make ourselves able to be bridge people to whatever that means, whoever that, whoever is the us and whoever is the them. Um, it's like really time for us to get to, to, to really hear that call for, especially for our generations to make ourselves people who are able to do that work. Mm, oh my goodness. Yes. So beautiful. This feels like a very perfect stopping point of, um, oh yeah. Like that's so beautifully said. If it's not calling us to be more collaborative, it's not at the right level. Mm, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I have like goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. And I want, um, I want to ask you a few like lightning round questions. Um, but before we do that, I would love for you to tell all the people where they can find more information about you and the amazing things you're working on. Awesome. So my website is chelseasimpson.co, C-O, or um, company is the Emerging Leaders Project. And that's at emergingleaders.us. And also I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Chelsea Simpson. And um, yeah, I'd love to see you in the virtual world and hear if I could be of any support for you or any organization you know. So this is a time and I feel super um, just passionate about us finding each other, those of us who have, who have the same uh, similar perspective. Hell yes. Beautiful. Okay. First question. Um, <laughs> what is something that most people assume about you? Hmm. 
Um, meta question. Mm -hmm. well, people, people, most people, I'm guessing most people assume I'm really tall. <laughs> you can't tell that the podcast. Maybe that's something to do with it. Um, most people assume, um, wow. Maybe, maybe that if I, if I, if I think to some of my worldviews as being kind of stereotypical coastal liberal in a way, maybe people might assume that I'm just, that I'm like a typical or like a, have coastal liberal beliefs. Ooh. And what's, what's the reality there? Um, I mean, there's ways, many ways, which is deeply true and also ways in which, um, my intention is to make myself someone who's, there's a word, there's a phrase that Duke Ellington used, um, that, uh, someone asked him a question at one time about like your people. And he said something like, who are my people? People who drink Beaujolais. And he went on to name some other categories and he said, my people are beyond category. So my intention while also being totally centered and admired and like the fact that, you know, I have a body and I'm, I'm a 32 year old white woman who lives in New York city. And that's, that's, that's also, you know, equally true. But, and my intention is to be someone who is in the experience of me is beyond category and able to find as much relatedness to someone who's um, from a different stripe as myself. Mm, beautiful. Um, what is something that you would like to be acknowledged more for in your life? Hmm. Something I'd like to be acknowledged more for. Um, I think it's, I think it's my, the, the commitment of my focus for a long time. I really recently re just like kind of come to acknowledge myself for like, I really prioritize personal development and trainings and just learning a lot and being in spaces of practice and with friends who I'm with, I can practice. So yeah, I've been really consistent and focused for like 15 years in that. And I really realize I'm realizing how I'd like to be acknowledged for that. Love it. Um, what do you think most people learn from you? Mm. I think most people, I'd like to think that, that most people learn at least one thing from me that um, makes them feel more spacious and capable of doing what they want to do. Oh, I love that. What a good trait to teach people. <laughs> Lovely. Um, and last question, what is one of your favorite questions to ask other people to help you to get to know them? Mm. A question that uh, I like to ask people as I'm getting to know them, for one, just what does that mean to you? You know, how like, to get a sense of how are they making meaning of what they're sharing, what they're sharing mm. and that was obviously important to them, um, especially early on, or they wouldn't be sharing it. So whether it's that explicitly or whether it's in some way that's appropriate for that conversation, but getting a sense of how are they making meaning of this experience, this trait, this profession, this relationship, this challenge. Um, yeah. Why is, what, is, what, what, why does it give it the primacy um, in what they would choose to highlight early on and getting to know somebody? Oh, love that. Beautiful. Well, Chelsea, thank you so, so much for taking some time out of your day to, to speak with me and tell all of us about, about what you're doing and your, your view on the state of things. And, um, yeah, it's been really so great talking to you and just hearing more about, um, yeah, about how you came to be the person that you are and, um, the things that motivate you through all of this has been really beautiful. Thanks so much, Kyla. I really appreciate your depth of response and your great questions. And it's been a real pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. 
All right, y'all, that is the episode with Chelsea. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will be back for you next week with episode 14. Please stay safe. Please wash your hands. I love you.